Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I am Maddie. I'm Austin. And we are here today to talk to you about some things that you should have learned in school, but maybe didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about the really weird show starring William Shatner we've been watching obsessively. I'm in love. So we wrapped up Unsolved Mysteries, which I could get into all of my billions of theories about every single thing that happened there, but... That's been covered to death by other podcasts at this point, I'm sure. I mean, The Unexplained probably has too. But if you're not aware, The Unexplained is a podcast, not podcast. Everything's a podcast. Everything's a podcast. This is like a TV, this is like a podcast on TV, but with commercials and visual parts. most, Most podcasts have commercials. We're just poor. Oh yeah, we're just not good enough. Although I guess if it's true that we're being tapped into and listened to by the government all the time, technically everything is a podcast. Whoa. Yeah. So, hey, NSA guy, I hope you find us entertaining. He probably doesn't. I mean, we're probably like our fifth or sixth one because we drive them mad. Probably. But The Unexplained, it's produced by Ken Burns. I noticed that during the credits. (laughs) And I'm assuming it's that Ken Burns, which I'm thrilled by. And it covers things like unexplainable buildings or structures, uh, some ghost stuff, the things that I love, like uh, reincarnation or twin telepathy or twins who are raised separately, but end up like the same person. And of course, my boyfriend Mothman was on there. Oh, good old Mothman. Yeah, we were both yelling at the TV, show his ass, show his ass, because they kept showing the statue. If you have not looked at the statue of Mothman, do so. They spend a lot of time on that butt. That Mothman is thick. Is that the word? I think so. He has got a juicy ass. That's true. It is, I think, juicy, except for metallic, because it's also made of metal. Yes. But it's it's really good. And Shatner's not doing that weird pauses thing he does. Like he's speaking through and he sounds like the guy who hosted Unsolved Mysteries back in the day when he talks. Yeah. And all I can think is that was what was missing from Unsolved Mysteries was a host. Let's bring the shat in. (laughs) He just shat all over the bed. (laughs) But it's been a lot of fun to watch. There have been a couple of things on it that I've gone, you're not telling the whole story here. I actually know this story. And they've got a couple of so-called experts on there that I'm like, this guy seems crazy. Or couldn't you have found somebody in a field more relevant to what that's being talked about? Like there's a weather episode and Austin pointed out that none of them were meteorologists. Now, (laughs) while I'm fine with physicists talking about this because lightning and stuff is physics, meteorologists probably better able to explain weather patterns yeah i mean it's like oh cool yeah you know all about like you know the physics of of lightning and electricity but meteorology is a bigger factor in this yeah meteorology and light like it's like mathematicians versus people who only study the number three or something yeah (laughs) but it's really good they're they're called threeologists And today I made Austin start watching Psychic Kids because I was obsessed with it in college. And I found out on a Facebook group that it's available on Amazon Prime and you can watch. There's a a reboot of it that I need to watch. Oh, come on, Austin. Remember when you found out that that girl we thought was lying had facts, right? Like all of them. Yeah, that was that was impressive. But these are like kids are weird. And like the chip coffee. I love him. I love him. Do not do not say bad things about chip coffee. I'm not a fan of his whole thing. (laughs) 
He, it's really interesting to watch him on this versus other shows he did at the time because back the early 2000s was like this heyday of amazing supernatural type shows. Like that was the day when I think it was just called Ghost Hunters and it was those guys who by day were like repairmen and plumbers and by night were ghost hunters. Best show ever. Way better than ones where they just yell at the ghosts. With, uh, what's it, what's his name? Baggins? No, no, that's Z- Ghost Hunters. And oh. that's Zach Baggins. We had a conversation that's about this earlier. Did. I saw a meme earlier that was like, 2020, everybody's trying to get everything to calm down and make good choices while Zach Baggins is running around his museum of haunted things with his Dybbuk boxes carrying them around like they're babies. He was the one who um, recently, there, you might have seen a headline about. Now, I'm not sure that was him. I might have, like, but I, cause I didn't read the whole article. <laughs> okay, cool. But well, I remember, I think he was mentioned as part of this. It's like, well, it might not have been him. It could have been him. We're gonna it get probably su- was him. I feel like Zach Biggins, I feel like it's like Beetlejuice. If you say his name three times, he appears. That's why I mispronounce it every time and call mm. him Zach Baggins. So anyway, well, no, my, in, that, in that case, you say it three times, he appears and punches you in the face. Well, a ghost hunting TV show that may or may not have involved Zake, <laughs> Zach, Zake Beagans. I'm not sure. Even like Zeke. I can't pronounce names. ZB. Um, he was, they were doing something around the Tiger King Ranch and they had a cadaver dog find what they thought were human remains. Um, I've heard both that, yes, it was human remains and no, it was just an animal because, you know, the internet's gotten a hold of it and there are no <laughs> facts at this point. Just wild speculation I, presented as I facts. think the official report ended up being that they found a small animal. But that said, who knows how many people that Joe Exotic fed to those tigers or killed in other ways. That place has to be haunted. So do you think him constantly saying that Carol Baskins killed her husband was just him projecting because he had killed so many people? Maybe he killed Carol Baskins' husband. Has anybody looked into him for the death of Carol Baskins' husband? Oh my god, if Joe Exotic killed Carol Baskin's husband and is trying to frame Carol Baskin's for it to get out of it, that's actually, that, that, that tracks. That absolutely tracks. If I heard that on the news tomorrow, I would not be surprised. I mean, he's in jail for consp- conspiring to kill Carol Baskin's. So, I mean, he had a lot of transient and homeless and mentally ill and addicted people who would come and work for him. Did they all leave? Tigers gotta eat. <laughs> And I mean, we know that he was feeding them some shady shit to begin with. Walmart meat. If they're feeding them at all, which I'm kind of... But we've talked Tiger King to death. So the point is, go watch The Unexplained. And if you're in for some... If you want some early 2000s nostalgia, Amazon Prime's got your back. Uh. Austin didn't get to have TV until he was married to me, basically. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have these emotional stakes. I do. I, n- I do not have like nostalgia for a show about that he never watched. You uh, can't have a nostalgia yeah. for something you never watched. Yeah. So it's like. I don't know. But I'm gonna be bringing up some nostalgia stuff that you watched today. Ooh, exciting! Which one of us goes first? Today? I get to go first this week. Damn, I'm really excited about my topic. Well, get excited about mine, because I'm going to talk about something that we learned a little bit about, but, like, you know, it was just a small drop in the ocean. And that ocean is the deep ocean. So you're saying that what we learned is polluting the ocean? Kind of. Okay. So we learned, or at least what I learned, was that only the only life in the very deep parts of the ocean was centered around these deep oceanic vents. Where basically bacteria would uh, use the chemicals in the water from these volcanic vents to make energy 
and then they would be the base of this food chain and be eaten by worms or crabs and other stuff. And instead of like here on the surface, the base of the food chain are plants using photosynthesis to get energy from the sun. And then everything just eats those or st- uh, stuff that eats those. And then the plants talk to each other and can be trained through conditioning. Ooh, do you think the tube worms talk to each other then? I feel like pretty much everything has the ability to communicate in some way. And I don't mean that in a creepy, like existential, I'm a psychic way, like I usually do. I mean, you were telling me yesterday about how sunflowers can be conditioned to change their habits. Oh, and we know for a fact that plants find, like we that we were watching something about this, and plants kind of find a way to communicate with each yeah. other. So this was a scientific experiment a while ago, because you don't not following her train of thought. There was this experiment where uh, scientists would use fans to blow wind against uh, plants, and then they would have a light set source set up from where the wind was coming from, so that the t- plants would turn their heads to face the light. Well, um, eventually they would start placing the uh, like you know the fan in a different spot, and they would start turning to face the wind because they were expecting light to come from there. So they conditioned plants to track to like track this wind anticipating light which means that plants are capable of learning i mean to the extent that like you know anything is capable of learning yeah but that also brings into questions and like ethical stuff about you know eating vegetables and fruits i mean you you, you've got to eat something we have not figured out a way to make completely artificial anything soylent green is people yeah i guess it is but no what i'm saying is since we, like, a lot of people who are vegetarians and vegans will not do anything that relates to any living creature that has the ability to reason and grow in any way. Like, even some of them, you know, avoid hitting bugs, which presumably don't have any higher intelligence than these sunflowers do. So where does that leave us? Yeah. So anyway, we were taught that, like, you know, life, the only life on the bottom of the ocean was supported by these vents. But that's not true. Uh, we also get to see all of these, like, crazy nightmare deep sea monsters like anglerfish vampire squids these five foot long vent worms and this is cool and also the discover of chemosynthesis was important because it taught us that chemosynthesis chemosynthesis the process in which they turn those volcanic chemicals into energy okay chemosynthesis um it it you know increased our understanding of the places where life can survive and thrive it also taught us an important lesson about questioning our assumptions about things like what what is required to support life wonder if that scientist lady i use this as an example for with aliens decided that she should actually change her mind and say aliens could exist so let's talk about some of these deep ocean life forms now uh we first observed them in 1818 uh when a british researcher uh, Sir John Ross caught a bunch of jellyfish and worms from about 6,500 feet below the surface of the water. I didn't know they could get that deep back then. I mean, they just had a really long rope and like a dredge and they just drag stuff up to see if there's something in it. Yeah, I was going to say there was about what she said and what I said, but with what you added, it sounds like a, you know, murder basement situation. So yeah. put the lotion on its oh. skin or skin. Also, another fun fact about uh, Sir John Ross He also was uh, captaining a ship that was searching for the Lost Franklin expedition that we talked about. Yeah. Uh, He didn't find anything. No. However, even though we knew that there was life in the deep, deep, deep parts of the ocean, uh, that didn't stop Edward Forbes from proposing in 1843 his abyssus theory. Okay. Abyssus theory. Abyssus. Like various abyss is? Yeah. Yeah, abyssus. It states that life gets sparser as the water gets deeper, and it ceases to exist after about 1,800 feet. That doesn't seem deep enough. Nope. And 
I think I do think I remember learning in school that there is less life the deeper you go, but I think we're discovering more and more that that's not true. That is not true. Um, his theory got a lot of contemporary support, especially from other geologists and other fields, because they thought, yeah, like there's no light down there. How can you go plants from the botanists and like other people saying, a geologist saying, yes, the weight of the water at the at depths would be so much it would crush any life. See, and that seems very biased towards the existence of your own thing. That's like me saying, how can you have theater if people can't speak? Good. No, like at all. Oh, yeah. Because like people being like, how can they grow plants that deep in the water? Yeah. Well, they clearly can or they don't. And that's fine, too. But like, and there's plenty of theater. People don't speak. It doesn't make theater stop existing. Yeah. See, someone forgot about mimes. It makes. We should all forget about mimes. So anyway, um, it was disproved in 1869 by Norwegian scientists who just cut so many life forms and stuff and samples from so much deeper than what he said. But it had kind of caught on and it is still mentioned today, but mostly by documentaries saying you may have heard that there's no life beyond this depth, but there's a lot of life beyond this depth. So the Norwegians found it? Yeah, Norwegians disproved his theory. Okay, my people, because I just learned from Ancestry.com that I'm part Norwegian and part Swedish. Austin and I might be related. Very distantly. (laughs) We hope. We hope very distantly. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So we do, but deep ocean life is still fairly sparse because it subsists on what drifts down from the shallower parts above it. And one of the more dramatic food sources that, you know, that settles on the bottom is something called a whale fall. So is that exactly what it sounds like? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's when a whale carcass sinks to the bottom of the ocean and creates an ecosystem that lasts for hundreds of years and possibly longer. I'm going to ask you a really stupid question. And I love ocean life and I'm just blanking on the answer. What are whales? I mean, I know what a whale is, but like, are they, are they fish? Uh, whales are mammals. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Which would which would explain a little bit better why they don't float, because most fish kind of float to the top when they die. And, and, and you know, they do float for a bit, but eventually they get to the point where they just sink. Are all whales mammals? All whales are mammals. Huh. The whale shark is not a whale. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. I, lo- I love I love the ocean. I love marine life and all of that. I just completely blinked on that, and I feel like a dum dum now. So anyway, people first hypothesized that whale whale carcasses at the bottom of the ocean could harbor life. Uh, when in the 1850s, a piece of blubber was found floating with some muscles on it, like the shellfish muscle muscles, not the I take steroids to be all swole kind of muscles. Delicious, delicious muscles. Yeah. You didn't like them, but they're no. delicious and you like to be wrong. So, and it expanded when uh, deep free trawlers pulled up whale bones with new species of mussel on them. And we just kept more and more. And in the 70s and 80s, we actually sent submersibles down deep enough that we were able to observe whale falls firsthand and the type of life that is around them. And we've gotten better at finding them. And now we've got a pretty good understanding of this bizarre little ecosystem. And I'm going to talk to you about some specifics because it's divided up into stages. So you're basically talking to me today about dead whales. I'm talking about dead whales today. Dead whales and the things that eat them and the things that eat the things that eat dead whales. You know, when the world ends and all the whales are gone, the only remainders will be the deep sea creatures and the cockroaches and Mothman who tried to warn us. He tried his best and we just don't listen. No. 
He should have gone to somewhere that's not America, because maybe other countries listen better than we do. Yeah, Mothman, if you're listening, go to New Zealand. They're paying attention. Yeah. So, uh, stage one is after the whale dies and rots and eventually sinks to the bottom of the ocean, a bunch of deep sea scavengers come out to eat the soft tissue. Uh, primarily, the big one that eats them is the nightmare slime monster known as the hagfish. Uh-huh. So if you have never seen a hagfish, you are missing out. Pause us and look that shit up because they are frightening. It's spelled like it sounds. Yep. So it kind of looks like an eel, but without a face. So it looks like... The- it's like a big, long snake with... And it doesn't have a mouth or a jaw in the traditional sense either. It's got like some four feelers around it because it lives in perpetual darkness. And it's got... It doesn't have a jaw. It has a pair of horizontally moving structures with tooth-like projections they use to tear their food, which they eat by burrowing inside and eating things from the inside out. Well, I'm not sleeping tonight. Yeah, they, and (laughs) this is going to be even grosser, especially for you. Thanks. Uh, They also produce prodigious amounts of slime. Oh. It's used to discourage predators because it will get stuck in their gills and make it harder for them to breathe. So they just avoid the hagfish. I don't do mucus, folks. I don't do it. And that sounds like mucus. Yep. It is also nearly impossible to keep them in captivity just because of the sheer amount of cleaning it requires to get rid of all of the slime they make. Uh, Here's another note about hagfish slime. Uh, Scientists also think that the proteins in it, which are long, thin protein chains... Uh, once dried out, could be used to make uh, very light, tough cloth, like bulletproof vests or spider silk. So in the future, you might be able to wear hagfish pants. That's our new clothing brand. Hagfish. And we'll only sell pants. Also, they can go months without eating. Huh. I can't go, like, hours without eating. This stage of it actually can last for over a year, with these various scavengers eating 60 to 80 kilograms of soft tissue a day. And just because of the sheer size of the whale, this phase can last a while. Here, some actual observations. A four-ton carcass uh, was being consumed by scavengers for four months. Mm-hmm. And a 35-ton carcass lasted, a couple of ones they observed, lasted from anywhere from nine months to two years. So that also says some interesting things about their ability to process rotten things. Yeah. So that was stage one. Then comes stage two, which is the enrichment opportunist stage. <laughs> it sounds like some kind of program they would institute at a public school. Uh, it really does. I think... <laughs> So, uh, we're having this enrichment opportunity meeting. I feel like I've actually had that meeting. I feel like, actually, that's pretty much what the entirety of my of the gifted program is called. So, the gifted program is just, you know, gathering around the, like, you know, the scraps of a whale carcass after the hagfish have gotten to it. Only after we've prayed to the gods. So, anyway, at this point, it's a skeleton and scraps, and it is surrounded by things like worms, snails, crabs, mollusks that feed on the leftovers, including any decomposing tissue that has been left in the sediment around the bones. So uh, lots of these species were actually unknown before we like got submersibles down there and able to observe them directly. What are submersibles? Submarines. And they have actually evolved specifically to thrive at whale falls and other type of large animals that have fallen to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, this part can last anywhere from months to up to four or five years. So longer than the Confederacy. Yeah. There is a worm at the bottom of the ocean that's been eating a whale carcass for longer than the Confederacy lasted. Dead whales are more viable 
than the American Confederacy. Yes, they are. And they probably smell better, we'll be honest. I mean, as far as we know, they never owned other creatures and made them do their bidding. Yeah. As far as we know. So I'm going to talk about one species of worm they discovered fairly recently. It is a type of Osidax, or this one is more commonly known as the bone-eating zombie worm. I yawned at the worst possible time because I'm so excited about that name and it made it sound like I was not interested. (laughs) Yep. So as its name would imply, this worm eats bones. But what makes it a zombie? Uh, I don't know. They just call it that because it's probably, it's really pale. It lives at the bottom of the ocean and eats corpses. Zombies don't eat corpses. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it actually has a symbiotic bacteria that help it break down the proteins and lipids in the whale bones to provide food for it. Um, Also, uh, I know how the patriarchy usually wins things, but in nature, not always. Because the only the females are large enough to be seen with the naked eye, and the males um, live inside of her. Usually there's dozens of microscopic males living in a single uh, female bone-eating zombie worm. So, hashtag feminism. <laughs> microscopic men. Yep, just living inside of them. I mean, I don't want any of those microscopic men inside me in any way. <laughs> But we definitely have some men in government who are microscopic in a number of ways from what I gather. (laughs) And also are just, what's the word I'm looking for? Parasites. Yes. Usually taking credit for the work of women. So then we get on to stage three, which is the the sulfophilic stage, which is named after the bacteria that are in the whale bones. Um, This is kind of a complicated one. This stage also is the longest and lasts anywhere from 50 to 100 years. So as bacteria uh, break down the fats inside the bones, and the product, the process they use to do that produces lots of hydrogen sulfide, which is toxic. Mm-hmm. But specifically adopted chemosynthetic b- bacteria, like the ones we talked about around the ocean vents, actually thrive in that environment. So they form thick bacterial mats around these whale bones that further support life in the area, like crabs, worms, and mollusks that just eat these bacterial mats. So, and this will last a hundred years. So, and this only, this part is specific only to whale bones because whale bones have so much like fatty tissue in them. Mm -hmm. It can support the stuff long-term, like other things like a jellyfish falls, which what happens when there's a large jellyfish die off and they all float to the bottom of the ocean. Aww. produces something kind of similar, but this is the only type where you have the sophophilic phage is with these whale falls. Yeah, so disgusting and gross. And there's also a theorized fourth phase, which they're not entirely sure is real or not, but some people think the fourth phase is when th- filter feeders like sponges or anemones uh, just attach themselves to the whale bones once everything's gone and just use them as like a, sp- a surface to live off of and filter feed. This is also known as the reef stage. Excellent pronunciation of anemone. Anemone? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So that was, those are the, the three, possibly four, stages of whale falls. So is the implication there that reefs grow up around these whales? No, this is a very specific type of reef. Oh, okay. They were basically using the bones as, like, the support. So very metal. We also don't know how extensively whaling and, like, the, the near extinction of many whale species has impacted these whale fall, like, ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Because, again, we didn't discover these until the 70s and 80s, and it's such a slow-moving, like, sparse thing that it's hard for us to really 
track what type of difference it's made. Scientists guess that they're getting about 30% less biomass at the bottom of the ocean now with the lower whale populations we have. They also believe that this has hindered efforts to combat global warming. Huh. Because carbon sequestration, which is the process of getting carbon out of the air and into the earth, is happens much more quickly at the deep, in the deep ocean than it does like with rainforest trees and stuff because it gets down there and it settles and nothing really messes with it for a long time and between a single whale fall and all of the life forms that support it and do stuff and basically spread out the carbon from this whale uh, they estimate that one single whale carpet carcass removes as much carbon from the environment as a thousand trees we want carbon removed from the environment we want carbon removed from the environment so we want more whales so whales can die and float to the bottom of the ocean or sink to the bottom of the ocean they all float down here (laughs) pennywise isn't isn't actually dead he's just at the bottom of the ocean in a whale carcass in a whale carcass we don't have proof that he isn't a whale carcass i mean maybe he might actually just be a bone-eating zombie worm Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think the spider was his true form either so ooh, bone-eating zombie so yeah, that was Whale Falls, the possibly endangered, possibly important to ending global warming ecosystem we didn't know about until our lifetime. Huh. Yeah. So this is all kind of new, and it's a big part of the underwater ecosystem that is kind of new to us. Okay. So, so yeah, that is Whale Falls. Are you ready for questions? Yeah. Okay. Will the fact that pants in the future might be made out of dried hagfish slime be on the test? Oh yeah, that would drag kids in, definitely. Will the fact that the abyssus theory became popular despite clear evidence against it be on the test? I don't think they'll bring up the abyssus theory too much. Yeah. Will bone-eating zombie worms be on the test? Oh, absolutely. Will the fact that the deep ocean hosts a large and diverse variety of life in most parts, not just around the vents, be on the test? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that is my little thing about the deep ocean and specifically whale falls. Oh, that was short today. I know. Well, that's probably for the best though, because I believe I'm covering the first ever still living person I've talked about on this show. I mean, as in specific topic, as opposed to a tangentially related thing, because today I'm talking about something that everyone loves. But when there's a live person that you're talking about, there's a lot more information about there, especially when we're comparing them to somebody who is long dead. My resources today are Wikipedia, Seattle Met, IMDb, New York Times, Rutgers, Washington Post, Library of Congress, Huffington Post, Variety, and Newsweek. But I kid you not, I probably saw at least 75 different sources during my research. I might have missed some. Many of us grew up watching certain personalities. On those awesome days when the teacher had work that they needed to catch up on, or they just didn't want to deal with you that day, or whatever the case may be. So they brought in the giant TV. (gasps) Remember that TV on the cart? It would creak. It was really heavy. And you always had to have a second kid if a kid had to go get it. Oh, yeah. It's for um, for our younger listeners. TVs used to be giant heavy things (laughs) that were big boxes. Not the flat screens we have now that you can just carry under your arm. These were like 90 pound televisions on carts that were strapped to the top of these big tall carts. So so what are we talking about? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Well, I have a few to choose from, obviously. Yeah? We would watch, you know, Bob Ross or Mr. Rogers or LeVar Burton on the genius show that it was Reading Rainbow or Wishbone the dog who (laughs) is 
They need to reboot that show. They do. Bill Nye the Science Guy and occasionally Linda, Linda Ellerby. Um, and I won't go into the male to female ratio here, but seriously, come on. There were there were other women we could have chosen from. We just didn't watch them. However, we never learned about who any of these people actually were. We were just told, these guys are experts and listen to them while I sleep off this hangover. Now, I don't know about you, but I always like to know a little bit more about a person who's telling me what to do. That's yep. why, like, at the beginning of every semester, I would tell the ki- my new group of kids, like, I'm Maddie. This is my background. This is why I can teach you this kind of stuff. But we were just told, listen to them. They're experts. And that was all was said. Now, since I don't want to do any of them any injustice by trying to do a shallow dive into each of them, I'm just talking about one of them today. Who? Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill! 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 Now, to answer the big question up front, yes, Bill Nye is a science guy. Good. I was uh, job hunting a few months ago, and there were a lot of companies out here that hire people to do basically what Bill Nye does. You don't have to have any science background for them. They give you a script. You go up, you put on this Bill Nye character, basically, and then you're screwed if they ask you a question. Not Bill Nye. He actually knew what he was talking about. Bill Nye was born William Sanford Nye on November 27th, 1955 uh, in Washington, D.C. His mom was ahead of her time and hyphenated her last night name. So she was Jacqueline Jenkins Nye. Ooh. She was a motherfucking code breaker for World War II. Nice. Apparently there's actually an entire group of women who were recruited for this that we never learned about in school. And I actually was like, should I change topics and talk about them? But no, Bill Nye gets it today. His dad, Edwin, he didn't hyphenate his last name. He was not as progressive. That's not true. It was just the 50s. Um, He fought in World War II and was taken as a POW for four years in Japan. Being also a genius like his future wife, because they weren't married at the time, and Bill, he learned to tell time using a shovel handle as a sundial. (laughs) This actually becomes important later. As a kid, Bill always loved science. He would carry around a plastic magnifying glass and look at like everything around him. And he would take apart stuff like his bicycle just to learn how they worked. Uh, Today, he still commutes by bike as much as possible because he's all about reducing his carbon footprint. Bill attended Sidwell Friends High School uh, on a partial scholarship. He had previously gone to Washington, D.C. public schools, but his parents thought the class sizes were too big. He actually mentioned in an interview or an article he wrote that his English class in middle school, and remember, this would have been the 1960s, had 54 kids. Now, we talk about class sizes now, and this still happens, but we are, are like, well, back in the good old days, that didn't. Oh, no, it did. It just was in high poverty school districts. They also thought the schools were too dangerous, and he does talk about there being a lot of shootings. Um, not school shootings in the way we think of them now, but shootings that happened at or near the school, and the rigor was too low. He said that that moving to Sidwell Friends made him actually feel like he wasn't that good at math for a while, because it's a really intense school even today. It also boasts alumni like Chelsea Clinton and the Obamas, the Obama girls, so it's a pretty good school. But it was also home to William Zantzinger, who murdered a black barmaid named Hattie Carroll, And that became the inspiration for the Bob Dylan song, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Um, It's a sickening whole true crime story that I'm not going to get into. But all I'm saying is even the best schools can, can, you know, graduate the biggest pieces of shit on the face of the earth. Because, dear God, he was garbage. Wait, what? Ted Kaczynski went to Harvard? I think so. Yeah. 
But Bill Nye is not murderous garbage, as far as I can tell. When he was in high school, he was tutoring another student in math once he figured out that he actually was good at math. It was just higher rigor. And that's when he realized he had a knack for making super complex ideas accessible to others. He graduated in 1973 and moved to New York to attend Cornell's Sibley School of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. He took astronomy from Carl Sagan while he was there. Oh, sweet. This spurred his interest in astronomy, and he actually applied to be an astronaut, but was denied entrance to the training program four times. Oh, I'm sorry, Bill. he's, like, incredibly athletic. He's incredibly smart. It's just so competitive. So it wasn't like he was dreaming too big. He was just that competitive. Uh, so he took a job at Boeing in 1977, and he worked there until 1986 while also doing stand-up comedy, which he started because he won a Steve Martin lookalike contest. While doing all of this, he also volunteered for Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Pacific Science Center, where he began to create his Bill Nye the Science Guy character. He was actually just one of those like people who you'd, you know, the, the Otter Show is at this time, and then they stand there with a vet vest and they try to be mildly entertaining. Well, he was doing that, and then somebody he worked with at an improv company was like, or not improv, it was, it, yeah, it was. Was it? I'm blank. It was not. Sorry. <laughs> Um, was like, you know, you could like, focus, like, create yourself a character and go with it. And so he did. And that's how he started making Bill Nye the Science Guy. And he actually went to a costume shop and bought the costume. <laughs> Despite his continuing love of science, the call of comedy itself was too strong. And Bill left Boeing in 1986 to pursue comedy. He began working on a local Seattle sketch comedy show. That's what I was trying to think of. Called Almost Live. As a writer and actor, but he was technically freelance and not an employee, so he did other stuff too. When a guest canceled, co-host of the show Ross Schaefer needed seven minutes to fill and asked Bill, why don't you do that science stuff? <laughs> so he did his goofy, entertaining science demonstrations like what happened when you eat a marshmallow you've put in liquid nitrogen. This became a regular character of his, along with Speedwalker, a superhero who, quote, Fights crime while maintaining strict adherence to the regulations of the International Speedwalking Association. That's brilliant. I'm sure this is on YouTube. I did not get a chance to look it up, oh. but we need to. Um, also, there are so many things of his on YouTube. Like, seriously, go look it up. The name for Bill Nye the Science Guy came from when he corrected the other host of the show, John Keister. Yes, go ahead and laugh at Keister. On his pronunciation. He, I bet he was the butt of lots of jokes. On his pronunciation of gigawatt, to which Keister responded, who do you think you are, Bill Nye the science guy? <laughs> Ultimately, Bill actually won an Emmy for one of the Bill Nye segments. One of the science guy segments. Almost Live led to Bill becoming the host of Fabulous Wetlands, a, sh a show that was shockingly about the wetlands of Washington State. This is all in Washington State. Which allowed him to further re refine his character style. And that led to more opportunities like being on Disney's all-new Mickey Mouse Club and the Back to the Future animated series. Back to the Future animated series? Yeah. I had no idea such a thing even existed. Yeah. And also, this is so confusing because he went from Washington, D.C. to Washington State. Uh-huh. That's just my... I'm not as smart as Bill Nye the Science Guy. I have trouble following this. Well, we're going to go back in time to make things even more confusing. Cool. Uh, back to his 10-year college reunion. He sought out Carl Sagan. And apparently, even at the college reunion where you're meeting with students that were your own students, Carl Sagan was not someone you could just talk to. So his assistant finally granted Bill five minutes of Carl Sagan's time. Bill told him he wanted to create a science TV program focusing on engineering things like bicycles and bridges. Carl told him no, saying, focus on pure science. Kids resonate to pure science rather than technology. So if it wasn't for Carl Sagan, we wouldn't have Bill Nye the Science Guy. 
Carl Sagan, you've done so much for humanity. In 1993, Bill developed a pilot for Bill Nye the Science Guy intended to be played on the Seattle Public Broadcasting Station, KCTS-TV. And he pitched to them as a combination of Mr. Wizard and Pee-wee's Playhouse. Now, kids, if you've never seen Pee-wee's Playhouse and want to be terrified, watch it because it was my favorite show as a kid and that tells you a lot. It was my favorite show too. Wow. Yeah. It was so fucked up. Especially the, like, you know, they had this segment where it's like there's the word of the day and every time you heard this word you'd scream really loud. Yes. And that would carry over into like the rest of the day and my parents would say that word and I'd scream really loud. I actually never did the audience participation stuff in TV shows. Like the Dora the I mean I'm too old for Dora the Explorer but that kind of shit I was always like you can't hear me. I can say whatever I want. And I always really hated it and they'd be like where's the backpack? And you would just sit there and then they would say that's right. That's where it is. I'm like, you fucking fucking hear me. You couldn't hear me. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's basically a fever dream. And he's a little boy, but Paul Rubens is like 20 feet tall, I think. And also there are puppets. And also he might be a puppet. It's very confusing. There's a genie and a cowboy and a mailman. And Phil and Hartman t- and Lawrence Fishburne. And a pterodactyl. Yeah. Like it's it's bizarre. It is the most bizarre thing. Um. So the pilot was picked up and it was underwritten by the National Science Foundation and the U.S. Department of Energy. The Children's Television Act then showed up. This act required TV stations to document programs that, quote, further the positive development of children under 16 years of age and under, or children 16 years of age and under in any respect. So basically anything that made children smarter or more moral was now mandated by the FCC. That's why you get those like special messages from G.I. Joe or Sailor Moon after the episode telling you to like not do drugs. Yeah. This had far-reaching implications in TV in general, which would be an actually very interesting topic for another time. But anyway, the show had to become part of a... Oh, this... If you did not have proof of this amount of program, of a certain amount of programming, you would lose your license as a TV station. Ooh. So it was... And it's gotten tougher since then. The show became part of a package that local stations used to meet their Children's Television Act requirements, and Bill Nye therefore became the first show to run on public and commercial stations concurrently. Yay! I, God, I, love, I, I was a PBS kid. I loved Bill Nye. I still love Bill Nye. <laughs> you know it's a Disney show? It's a Disney show? Yeah, and that comes up again later. But Bill Nye apparently, and it's been a long time since I've been to Disney World, but Disney World and Disneyland, Bill Nye stuff is everywhere like you go and like bill nye talks about things and he's like featured in different places and oh man now i want to go to no we don't want to go to florida right now or california let them alone let them figure out their disease about to say no we're just gonna get like those like clean suits and like some air filters and we'll just go we'll go in the big bubbles and we won't die of heat stroke in our self-contained plastic bubbles bill nye would not appreciate this no he wouldn't the show ran from 1993 to 1998, which I feel like it was earlier than that, but it was not. I feel like it went longer than that. And it won 19 Emmy Awards. Uh, and during the run of the show, he got two patents as well. One for a magnifying glass made with a bag of water and one for a digital abacus. He also has patents for an improved toe shoe for ballet dancers and a device for people to help people better learn to throw baseballs. Cool. Like, this guy, he's legit. Like he's- Also... Digital abacus, mm-hmm. that's pointless and I love it. <laughs> I mean, a magnifying glass made out of water is pointless too, but why not? Yeah. If you can make it, you should patent it because you never know. When the show ended, Bill tried to start a new project called The Eyes of Nye, 
which was geared towards older audiences, and he wanted to focus on more controversial issues like sex and race from a scientific perspective. Um, And it wasn't going to not be funny. It wasn't going to be, today we're learning about... It was still going to be Bill Nye, just not Bill Nye the science guy. Because apparently Bill Nye the science guy, not that different from Bill Nye in real life. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Except Bill Nye in real life is a lot more advocacy-focused, I think would be a good way to put it. Because I don't want to say intense, but I think intense might actually be more accurate. As, as an adult, like, hearing Bill Nye talk about climate change, it's like, no, he's intense, but he is right to be intense. Well, it's like, and apparently he'll stop, like, in the middle of conversations because he gets distracted by something. And they'll be like, what are you doing? And he goes, let me show you. And he'll, like take the thing he's looking at and explain how it relates to the nature of the universe and our understanding of it. A journalist was talking to him about something and then Bill Nye was like, take a look at this head of lettuce. Think about like all the things that had to happen for this head of lettuce to even exist. And then he started using the head of lettuce to talk about how gravity works and how heads of lettuce are really good for explaining this. And I'm like, I get that. I feel feel that. (laughs) Um, I'll talk some more about stuff like that later too. Well, um, he tried to start the eyes of Nye. Production was delayed because KCTS couldn't get its shit together, basically. And PBS declined to air it because it wasn't serious enough. So it's covering more serious topics, but in a lighthearted way, kind of like podcasts. <laughs> and they were like, no, we want, they, this was when Nova first started and they wanted Nova. Now, I know you like Nova, but by God, maybe that would help me with my insomnia. Maybe. The Eyes of Nye finally premiered in 2005, so like eight years after he started trying, and it only lasted one season. He also said part of the problem was that he wore a regular tie and not a bow tie. Yeah, that was an amateur mistake. <laughs> so though The Eyes of Nye, it was in limbo for so long, he was busy in the interim. He was the technical expert on BattleBots. I remember that show. God, okay, that show was ridiculous. Yes. And I love it. Now, to our younger viewers, that listeners, that might sound like it was some kind of ridiculous, like, superhero. Uh, sounds It might sound like Transformers. No, this was literal robots that people made and they fought each other. Yeah, it was robots with, like, saw blades or hammers or they just, like, flip the other ones over. It's the it's- kind of stuff you might do for your robotics club or science Olympiad project, but on TV. And I'm pretty sure everybody was drunk, but... <laughs> I mean, I was watching it. I was also a child. I was going to say, that show was on in 2002. You would have been 16, which doesn't mean you couldn't have been drunk, I guess. But I don't remember you ever being drunk in high school. No, no, I was never drunk in high school. I wasn't. I can't. We were, we were huge goody-goody nerds who who really liked Bill Nye the Science Guy. Yeah, that's true. It's all factual. It's like, wait, you guys are doing a history podcast and you like Bill Nye? It's like, yeah. Well, it's not really a history podcast. It's, you know, just anything you didn't learn in school and you should have. Everything is history when you think about it. Unless it's the future. Unless, like I thought about that episode of The Unexplained, time travel is real and then time is irrelevant and there is no history or future. It's the staircase episode, guys. Not like the owl staircase theory episode, but like there's a staircase and I think it means time travel. He also did appearances and hosting gigs on a variety of other shows. And he was even the inspiration for the crime drama numbers for this, you know, the E is backward, is a free. I've seen the DVDs at the library. I'm just assuming it was like knockoff bones. It ran from 2005 to 2010. It was a crime drama. It was definitely not geared towards kids, but weirdly it was inspired by a lecture he gave about getting kids excited about math. And he actually made several appearances on it. I don't get it either. Now back to his dad. Remember what his dad did when he was in Japan? 
made a sundial out of a shovel handle. Well, in 2000, and you're going to love this. I, I actually, you've never mentioned this. So I'm guessing you don't know. Nye helped create the sundial on the Mars Exploration Rover. <gasps> That's really cool. Yeah, I think he owns part of the patent to it. <laughs> So he actually worked with that whole thing and built the sundial that he used. He really likes Mars. And he later became the VP and executive director for the Planetary Society, which advocates for science research and exploration of other planets, especially Mars. And in 2012, he, ex- he conducted the Q&A that happened after the Mars rover landing. Yay! 2006. So we're kind of going back and forth in time because time doesn't matter anyway. It's all wiggly wobbly timey wimmy stuff. He married a musician. So he got married for the first time in 2006. And the only time. Um... He married a musician named Blair Tyndall, who is, I believe, an oboist and pianist. I couldn't really tell. She played with, like, a bunch of philharmonics, and she did some of the music for the for the Twilight series. Like, big deal musician, which obviously means that she's also terrifying. You know musicians. You are a musician. Musicians are terrifying. They are. Musicians come in two varieties. Terrifying and so laid back that you become terrified by them. He annulled the marriage after only seven weeks. Now... It said the marriage license was declared invalid. I couldn't tell if that was before or after the annulment. Um, well, he had to issue a restraining order against her the following year because she broke into his house, stole a bunch of his shit, including his laptop, on which she sent really inappropriate emails pretending to be him, and killed his garden. Like, she used pesticides all over this beautiful natural oh, garden he's built. herbicides or pesticides? Herbicides. Okay. Um, and then she violated the restraining order in 2009 and was ordered to pay him 50 in legal fees. And in 2012, he had to sue her because she hadn't paid the legal fees. My guess is she still hasn't paid them. I haven't been able to find anything about whether or not she did. But in my experience, it is hard to get your ex to pay the legal, pay the fees they owe you. Oh, poor Bill Nye. This is not the only time somebody refuses to pay him. I'll get to it. But in the meantime, I have never seen anybody with as many honorary degrees as this dude. I put this here in the timeline because it kind of happens throughout. He has honorary Doctor of Science degrees from the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, Johns Johns Hopkins, Williamette University, Rutgers, and Simon Fraser University, and an honorary doctorate of pedagogy from Lehigh University. So lots of honorary doctorates. So this guy, as far as I could tell, he never moved past a bachelor's of engineering and has created an entire career based on science because he understood the importance of making it accessible to the population at large. And that seems to be a problem in a lot of fields. I'm not saying like scientists don't understand that. A lot of fields don't understand why their information needs to be accessible to others. Like poor Austin has to listen to me talk about my job sometimes. And I'm I'm a writer and an editor. And he just kind of looks at me like, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. And if you weren't my wife, I'd stop listening by now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd probably do the same thing too when I talk about my boring, stupid job that I love. Yeah, I love my job too. Or like even when I would talk about teaching, you know, it gets into things like, oh gosh, what was it? Um exceptional uh, exceptional what was the word from yours from what the piece you just did that we said was for gifted kids the enrichment opportunist stage yes okay so like i would talk about shit like that and it's not accessible so if i was trying to get someone to become a teacher or become interested in education or become you know advocate become an advocate if i just talked about in the enrichment whatever enrichment opportunity yeah opportunism yeah if i just constantly was like enrichment opportunism and i didn't ever break it down further and make it an engaging thing because it's really easy to get boring on shit um No one would listen. No one would care. That's why you have to bring in this entertainment and communication piece. That's why we need both liberal arts and science. 
That's why STEAM is better than STEM. Yep. Uh, STEM is science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Yes. STEAM is science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Yes. And arts does, it's more all-encompassing, but it, like, there are clear connections between music and math. Or between art and math and yeah. art and engineering, especially. And too often I've had parents tell me, oh, well, my kid won't be taking any of these electives in high school because it won't help them become a doctor. And I'm like, you don't think being able to draw will help them become a doctor? Yeah. Do you know right. how many anatomy drawings they're going to have to do? Yeah. Being able to draw or being able to communicate clearly is a important part of any profession. And the arts are integral for that. Yes. Um, and in recent years, he's been on way too many TV shows and specials for me to name, including the ben ba- Big Bang Theory, which I loved. And you guys don't at me about that because I don't care. I love it. Uh, the most recent show that was 100% his was Bill Nye Saves the World, which ran on Netflix for three seasons between 2017 and 2018. He has 28 acting credits, but 116 appearances as self, according to IMDb. So he's been busy. Uh, in addition to everything else, he is a fellow at the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, which was formerly known as the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Clams of the Paranormal, which I think has come up previously in some ways, although this was actually not the one from the spiritualist movement. This one started in the 70s. Basically, they investigate controversial and extraordinary claims, UFOs, paranormal activity, things like that, and try to use science to show the reasons they are happening. Now, despite being a believer in the paranormal, which I am, I'm actually all for this. Because I think that people who immediately jump to it was a ghost or it was an alien make the rest of us look like fucking morons because so many things have rational explanations. That's why when our light chain did the thing where it wrapped around itself, I tried to recreate it because I didn't want to say, oh, there's a ghost messing with our light. Then have Austin come in and be like, bink, bink, now it's back. Now it's doing it again. Um, Yeah, I believe in trying to disprove them. The main thing is for me, don't be a dick about it. Like come in and be like, okay, let's, let's use some science. Now, Bill, on the other hand, I, I, I don't think that it's a coincidence is science. I don't think it is. Like, and I think in an infinite universe, anything can be possible, except for Donald Trump not being a piece of garbage. Even in like infinite universes, he's garbage in every one. That's how garbage is. You know what? I'm going to say you're wrong based on what I said, because someday he could be back in his natural environment in the ocean, (laughs) swimming along, and he could die, and then he'll just sink to the bottom of the ocean and become an important part of a little understood food web. See, I don't think his body is safe for them to eat. And they eat things that decompose for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, now, Bill thinks to, seems to think all of this is idiotic and it's not cool with me because in an infinite universe, there are infinite possibilities. But that's me. Anyway, Bill is also politically active. He frequently consulted with Obama about, about science issues and endorsed Jay Insdall for president this time around. He has not issued a new endorsement since Insdall dropped out. If you consider climate change to be political, climate change is science, not politics. It's about as political as, I don't know, a plague. He has um, worked on a lot of things related to that. In 2017, he was one of the major speakers at the March for Science. He was criticized then by Sarah Palin, who said, Bill Nye is as much of a scientist as I am. Okay, girl, like Google, it's not hard. I know you have a cell phone. Just look up, does Bill Nye have a science degree? And it's yes. It is yes. Yes, he does. He would also explain to you why no, you cannot see Russia from your house. I think some people in Alaska, maybe. I don't can, really there know. There are. Uh, but the, she is not one of them. Some of the, like, you know, Aleutian Island chains further to the west 
can see Russia on a clear day. And I have a feeling he would also be able to explain to her why even if you can see Russia, it doesn't mean that you are effective at dealing with people from that country. Mm-hmm. And like, I can see our neighbor's, our, our neighbor's house. It doesn't mean I've ever spoken to the neighbors. I'm not convinced people live in that house. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly which one you're talking oh, about. Oh, the one, the other one, though, that's like down the weird side street? Yeah. I have confer- confirmation. No one lives there. Really? Yeah. I don't know what it's used for, but I was talking to somebody, I like a random person on the street. I think we were looking for a dog. And he, I kind of figured out where it was. And he goes, well, I know nobody lives in that house. So I think it's storage for the church. Weird. And I'm like, church, you are huge. Also, start wearing masks, church. Ugh. At least the people we saw going to the wedding were wearing masks. Yes, we went on a walk today and there were people going to a wedding. And they weren't wearing masks in the parking lot, but they put them on when they started going in, which is something. And also then one of them put a Pokemon in a Pokestop, in our Pokestop. And I understood that on a yep. spiritual level because we've done that at weddings. I mean, no, we're perfect guests at weddings. Yeah, Always we, very focused. We weren't. We definitely never spent an entire wedding sitting in back in a back and forth gym battle against other guests in at fairness, the wedding. It was not during the ceremony. It was during the ceremony. It, you were a groomsman. It was not during the ceremony. It was during the ceremony. Were you like standing up there doing this? And no, I we, were, we were sitting down at that part and we were like... You guys were? Yeah, we were absolutely... Did he know you were doing that? He gave us his phone to do that. <laughs> Does he listen to this? Maybe. I'm not, um, I'm More not, importantly, does his wife listen to this? I'm not entirely certain, so we're not going to say anything. Well, it sounds like it's too late. We've said everything, and there's no editing. Oh, no. no. So despite, like, all of his science background, he argued that you don't need to be a scientist to understand things like climate change. You just need to become scientifically scientifically literate, which basically means you need to be open to these ideas. You need to do your research, and hopefully along the way, somebody helped you. His quote is, somewhere along the way, there has developed this idea that if you believe something hard enough, it's true as... Um, it, it, uh. Somewhere along the way, there has developed this idea that if you believe something hard enough, it's true as things have... Oh, okay. I missed a word. Uh, yeah, I'm dyslexic. Sorry, guys. Like, and I don't mean that as a joke. I, I'm dyslexic. Um, somewhere along the way, there has developed this idea that if you believe something hard enough, it's as true as things discovered through the process of science. Nailed it. Only took three tries. And he goes on to say, and I will say that's objectively wrong. He recently even put out a video encouraging the use of masks. So he sticks with the idea that just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. The day of the March for Science event, he was like marveled at how many people showed up in defense of science. And he said, like, I know that my show has this major impact, but I don't think I fully comprehend the impact that it's had. He's also talked about inequity in education when recounting the differences. And I told you this would come back. Between his time in public school and his time at Sidwell Friends, he talks about how much easier it was to learn simply because the school was clean, had regular maintenance, and then, of course, the issues of less bullying and more funding. He didn't blame the teachers at the public school. And he actually said, like, these were really dedicated, hardworking professionals, and all of the best ones quit because their hearts couldn't take it some. Sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. Tragically familiar. Yeah, He blamed the system, especially because of that. 
So he said all this to Obama via an open letter, like saying, Obama, you need to recognize that your daughters have privilege in going to this school as opposed to having to attend the school down the street. And it is your responsibility as president to ensure that all kids have the quality of education you got. I got at Sidwell Friends. And frankly, it's fucking possible. We just need to fucking fund it. Anyway, Bill is not closed off to new ideas, though. Um, for years, and you might know this, he was very anti-GMO. And I know that that topic makes you very upset. Yeah. Um, because he was like, you know, we have all this evidence, all this evidence that people who eat GMO foods are have worse allergies. And I mean, there were some studies. Yeah. Yep. But in 2015, he's like, no, there's been additional research, more knowledge. And I don't think that's true based on the based on all the research that I've looked at. Now, the allergy levels aren't aren't any different. So, yeah, go ahead and eat your GMOs. So, like, even scientists have a tendency to get stuck in the me, me, me. This is what I think. I need to confirm it. I, I need to confirm it. I mean, well, you'll and, see that, too. Like, even, like, historical science. Like, you know, they'll get behind an idea and will ignore all evidence of the contrary of what they think. And so it sounds like he, he has looked at the evidence about GMOs and changed his mind. Yeah, it's like he would rather, I think, have people go, oh, look at him flip-flopping around or look at this idiot than continue being wrong and digging his heels in J.K. Rowling. <sighs> Turf. Turf. Um, he chooses to meet with people who d- disagree with him and debate them and try to get them to the, his side. He d- he gets he gets passionate, but he doesn't get mad. He has said some things that were kind of like, "Hey, fuck you," but not. And he even debates with people who agree with him, but they agree with him based on faulty science. Like there was a senator who was like, "Doesn't this tornado show that global warming is real?" And he went in there. He goes, "No, global warming is real, but one weather event can't show that." It's like you need to support it, but you need to make sure you're giving out factual information when you do. Okay, I remember. Actually, I was a little mad about him when he was debating a flat earther, like mm-hmm. very publicly. And it's like I understand the his position to debate this person and like use actual knowledge, but at the same time, you don't want to legitimize this idiot. Well, he's never really come across as legitimizing any of them as far as I can tell. Um, There was one where he got real pissed at a creationist because this guy would not back down. And he he runs that art museum. And he was like, but look, we've recreated the art. And he's like, you built a boat. (laughs) Oh, oh, I wonder how the art museum is doing in this pandemic. They brought two of every animal just in case. Smells terrible. I like. I was. I was talking to one of my coworkers about like bad vacation ideas, and we went down a rabbit hole about the Ark Encounters Museum. Oh my god! And it's like, oh, it's like, look at all of these family vacation packages you can get. You could spend your entire week there. People who meet him tend to see that his TV persona and his real life persona are not that different. Um, he's a little. He speaks a little slower. He speaks a little. He has a little bit of a deeper voice, but that's about it. Like, he gets really fascinated. On his show, he used to cry out the word science, <laughs> which a lot of people, I don't think they realize that when we do that, that's what that's from, is from Bill Nye the Science Guy. Although at the March for Science, he got everybody to do it in unison. I do yell out science quite a oh, bit. Oh, we both do. Um, however, according to like this New York Times journalist, uh, he will not only speak slower and he'd be a little calmer, but he often runs these cheesy comedy routines in normal conversation, kind of like I do. <laughs> um, he always gets excited about science and he wants other people to feel the same way, uh, which the journalist said can be a little overwhelming in person because you don't have the ability to pause him. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but only a total moron would be dismissive of it and not want to listen because he's just so excited. Um, he even recounts Bill's reason for buying his butter, which was Landa Lake's butter. At the time, I don't think this is the case anymore, it had a Native American woman on it holding a box of Landa Lake's butter, which had a Native American woman on it holding a box. So it was infinite, and he bought it because it was making him think about the concept of infinity. So he had to buy this butter. <laughs> so it was the recursive butter that was making him buy butter. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like, He finds this, like, science and beauty in everything around him. Like, everything is, everything has a purpose, and that's kind of cool. And during that time, he also taught the journalists that remote controls can have their signals bounce off of walls, especially white ones, because they reflect heat. Now, like, I've always known that I didn't have to point my remote directly at the TV for it to work, but that's why. You can, like, do it at the opposite wall, and it will go back if the wall is light-colored because it's a reflective heat thing. Cool. Um, I tried to find scandals and I can only find one and it's not his fault other than the stuff his ex-wife was sending, obviously, which I don't think anybody believed. In 2017, I told you we'd come back to this, he sued Disney, the Disney Corporation. In 2008, Disney had contacted him and said that he, Bill, owed them nearly $500,000 due to an accounting error. Well, he got suspicious because he was like, how can a company as large and well-funded as you guys make this kind of error? How shitty can, how can you hire shitty accountants? Uh, basically, if I understood it correctly, they were asking for most of his residuals back. Now, this is 2008, with, like when streaming first started and he was actually like, should have been making more money. After some investigating, Bill's team found that Disney reported a gross revenue of $26 million from his show, but costs of $20 million. Now, remember, though, this show was largely underwritten by grants. It should have cost them almost nothing, and they actually should have made a ridiculous profit. So his lawyer went in and said, I need to audit all your papers. And Disney was like, oh, no, we've got a backlog of other people wanting to do audits, which, first of all, um, that's a problem. So it'll be like two to three years before we can get you that. And the lawyer's like, uh, no, you're getting that from me now. And so they gave him the stuff, but they refused to hand over the Netflix and iTunes licensing agreements. Ultimately, the auditor found that what with what they had, at least, Disney owed Bill $9.3 million and that Disney had purposefully falsified documents. Now, this is all alleged. Just discover my legal basis. It is all alleged. Yeah, you, you don't fuck with Disney. No. Disney. We have Disney Plus. Be nice to us. Disney um, will come at you with a knife. Tangled is the best Disney movie. In total, they found that Disney owed Bill and others of the show $28 million. Uh, In December 2019, it's reported that a judge would let the case go to trial, but for less money because of a statute of limitations issue. Basically, Disney was able to show, oh, well, this money that we owed them is from too long ago, so we don't owe it to them anymore. The trial was supposed to start this past May, but with COVID, I don't think it happened. And Bill, being a scientist, probably is fine with putting it off. All the stories I read that talked about people approaching him on the street and asking questions or photos, he obliges without hesitation. I think he just really enjoys that he, like, helped people. Uh, Today, he owns three homes, one in Studio City, one in New York City, and one on Mercer Island in Washington. The California house is solar-powered, and he likes to compete with his neighbor, Ed Bagley Jr., to see who can have the lowest carbon footprint. Uh, The reason Bill never had any kids of his own is that his family has a history of ataxia, which is a neurological issue that makes it hard to coordinate your voluntary muscle movements. Like, you can't easily pick things up. You have trouble with walking, balance. Things just don't, they just don't kind of seem to fit. And you can also have speech issues. And because of how much his dad and siblings struggled with it, he opted to not have kids because he didn't want to pass it on because he didn't want to 
have someone struggle with it as well. So he instead made it his mission to kind of make all kids his kids, kind of like Mr. Rogers. Research showed that people who watched the show regularly could explain scientific ideas better than people who didn't. Meaning that it really was a valuable part of our education while the teacher was off doing whatever they were doing, sometimes not even in the room. He Sorry, there's so many Hamilton jokes in what you just said, it broke my brain. <laughs> he also has this document hanging on his wall. It reads, produce a TV show that gets kids and ex- adults excited about science so that the United States will again be the world leader in technology, innovation, and the sound management of the environment. The show is entertainment first. Ideally, school curricula will follow us. And about this, he said, and that's what happened. School curricula do follow us. We pulled it off. And that's why the show has stood the test of time if you're asking for a theory. That's Bill Nye. Oh, Bill Nye was good. Is good. He's still he alive. He still is good. He's alive. He's, and he's taking COVID seriously. So hopefully he'll be around for a good while now. Um, I think he's in his 60s. Yeah, born in 55? I think I think that's what I said, yeah, yes. So 65. Mm-hmm. 64, I think. 60. I think he's born in late 60, late 55. Ugh, I'm bad at math. Math! Yeah. I math. did so much math the last couple of days. Like, yeah. My, my brain is mathed out. It's the weekend. I don't do math on weekends. Man, she is like scrambling. Our snake is dancing like crazy right now. She's so long. Yeah. Um, She's probably hungry. She's probably, I gotta feed her. Are you ready for some questions? I'm ready for questions. Will the fact that Bill Nye started his entertainment career by winning a Steve Martin lookalike contest be on the test no because then they have to explain to kids who steve martin is every kid should know who steve martin is if you don't know who steve martin is you are living your life wrong children talk to your parents about their choices will the fact that his mother was a code breaker in world war ii be on the test yes because that's just awesome so it was like i know there's like the there's a tv show about the english code breakers bletchley circle mm-hmm. i don't know that's not her yeah i don't know if there's anything about the american ones no they were it starts with a g something something girls and okay it's pretty cool. Um, will the fact that he is highly politically active be on the test? No, because there's always that one parent. Will the fact that Bill Nye actually does have a background in science be on the test? Yes. Um, will the fact that this children's entertainment show actually did influence the way we teach science and indeed other subjects be on the test? Yes. Even if it's indirectly, because, you know, it's just the way we teach things now. I mean, it should be. We started to go that way, and then we got too obsessed with data. So we are doing a lot of things. Like, they keep telling us, make it engaging, and then they don't tell us how. Teachers, if you're looking for a way to make things engaging, just watch Bill Nye the Science Guy. See what he does, and see how you can kind of incorporate that into that. Into Like, we, we talk a lot on this show about, yeah, that should be on the test, because that's something that would bring a kid in. Like, zombie worms. Bone-eating zombie worms. Like, even if they're not a major part of the story, a little thing like that, something that will grab their attention, or wearing a bow tie with a light blue coat, enough to draw a kid in a little bit. Randomly shouting out science because you're excited. Drawing a kid in. Like, make it entertaining, and they'll listen, and they'll get excited about it, too. That's actually why I got an interest in history, is I had a teacher who would get really excited about, like, start pounding on her desk and stuff like that. I just, I thought it was because I would just yell, History! Now, I had this teacher who was teaching about Alexander Hamilton, and she got so mad at him for what he did to his wife and how it, and not because just of what he did to her, but because it ruined his political career in many ways and he could have kept revolutioning. She is hitting her desk and yelling, if he wasn't such an idiot. 
Um, and then the reason I got into Shakespeare is because of a teacher who like would stand up there and kind of semi act things out for us to, he's like, I don't, he's like, Julius Caesar can be really dry to read. So let me kind of show you what this moment would have looked like and things like that. Entertainment is a vital part of education. And Bill Nye proved that because people who watch Bill Nye can explain science better than people who did not. So cool. Mm-hmm. Yay. So... What is something you learned? I learned that Bill Nye's ex-wife has like several restraining orders against her and broke into his house and stole his laptop. It's just, oh, it sucks. I'm so sorry, Mr. Nye. We love you, Mr. Nye. We do, we love but we're you. not going to show up at your house because we're not creepy. No, we're, I mean, we are creepy, but we're not showing up at your house creepy. No, no. What did you learn? I learned that a whale carcass can feed things for a hundred years. Yeah. Is that the part that's definite or is that stage four? That is definite. Okay. I love marine life, and that's actually one of my things. I can't believe I blanked on what whales were earlier. I feel like, like, my brain, I haven't slept in three days. My insomnia is really bad. So I'm like, fishies. Of course they're not fish. They don't have fucking gills. No. I mean, it was a pretty boring week other than watching this TV show, so we don't have much to ramble I mean, on I've about. Been, like, you know, I'm back at work, at work. She's working. Like, there's always, there's been all of the nonsense on the news, but it's been less. You've all seen it. You've all seen it. Because it's all we can do right now. Oh, wait, now. no. They decided that, like, half of Oklahoma is Native American territory. I was very excited about that. I will, like, hopefully that will force some kind of, it won't. It's not relevant. But yeah. it, ideally, it would force changes in the curriculum. Because, like I've mentioned previously, we learned that we were nice to the Indians. They were the bad guys. They just gave us their land. It was fine. Yeah. So, where can they find us? Well, they can find us uh, online at, uh, on Twitter, at OnTheTestPod, on Instagram, at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook, at Facebook, at... Facebox. Facebox. <laughs> on Facebook, at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod. I'm the popular social media platform, Bookface. <laughs> you're not Jim. I'm glad you're not Jim. Jim, I have such mixed feelings and strong opinions. Okay, and, I for- and we also have our website, OnTheTestPod.com. If you want to contact us, the easiest way to do th- do so is through social media because our email address is longer and also I get so much spam in there that I forget to check it. And yeah, so, oh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. It really, really helps us out. We need to let people know that we exist so we can start paying off the f- uh, costs we've spent on this podcast so far in order to get people to give us money for things. We need to have people listen in the first place. And that includes you, Sarah's new best friend who talked to me specifically. <laughs> Review us, you turd. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, that is actually my criteria for friendship at this point. If you do not leave me a five-star review, our friendship is going to officially be over or never begin. Um, She actually told the exact same thing to me, and I had to do that or else I had to sleep outside for forever. So she's serious. Okay, just to be clear, though, we have not reviewed our own podcast. No. (laughs) But if you want to, get onto that little iTunes, give us a little five star, write it up. If you don't want to give us a five star, you don't have to do anything. No one's making you. It's like, why are you even listening to us at this point? I mean, we're barely listening to us at this point. I haven't listened to her in years. Yeah, it's actually kind of nice because then I can get mad at him for stuff. I mean, it's like like you need the excuse. (laughs) I am a very rageful person. She she beats me. Actually, no, wait, that's true. I'm not that, but I (laughs) am. I am a very rageful person. Also, Just she doesn't actually beat me. It's more emotional. You're such a jackass. I am. I'm cutting all of that out, don't worry. But yeah.
But yeah, so rate, review, subscribe, make it nice because I am a sensitive person and I will cry if I get a bad review. And even if you want to make me cry, think, do I want to be that kind of person? Is this who I want to, like in the afterlife, do I want to answer to oh, whatever comes next? Even in this life. I gave Maddie a bad review. Even in this life, it's like, it's like, oh, would you, if you ever meet Bill Nye, it's like, hey, Bill Nye, I was in this podcast about you and I gave it a bad review. And he'd be like, that seems rude. I don't like you anymore. And he'd splash wine in your face and walk away. He is known for carrying wine for just such a He has a glass of wine to splash <laughs> people's faces. Actually, I feel like his response would be, well, was it inaccurate? Well, no, I just don't like the host's voices. Well, that's not something they can control, is it? They can't I mean, control. We can control them to a certain extent. Like, for example, my perfect French accent. You remember that Saturday Night Live sketch with Will Ferrell where he couldn't control the volume of his voice? No. I'll show it to you later. It's probably horribly offensive and I'm remembering it as not so much. But anyway, go on to the YouTubes or the the internets and look at pictures of hagfish and those terrifying squirt monsters. What are they called? What? The slime thing. Hagfish. Hagfish are, are, are the horror. No, hagfish are the slime monsters I was talking about. Oh, okay. Oh, then the zombie bone eaters. Bone eating zombie worms. I don't listen. Hey, like this is what I'm talking about, though, with getting the actual wording right versus the concept. I'm not memorizing lines, so it's as long as I'm understanding the concepts, we're good. Go onto YouTube, watch some Bill Nye videos. A lot of stuff's available on Hulu and Netflix and all that. Watch the stuff, do some learning, and also Bill Nye right now. Nice distraction from the world. Hagfish may be a little too close to what's going on in the world with how horrifying they are. I don't know. Yeah. But you no, know, maybe she's been hagfish and think, you know what? Maybe a mask's not so bad. I could have a hagfish eating me from the inside out. Yes, those are now your options. Wear a mask or be eaten by hagfish. We will send hagfish to your door. And on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.